Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, another Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. We had so many good questions from our first uh, podcast on Monday that were left over. We're going to circle back and hit some of those. And we got some additional questions from our Football Insider subscribers that came in after we recorded. So we're going to get to some of those as well. And we're going to start with John from Fort Pierce, Florida, who apparently has been looking at some of the Browns' power rankings and, and where they're ranked. And he says, Hey Mary Kay. It seems the Browns are ranked in the bottom third of projections for success in 2023 and got poor scores on some of the additions they have made in free agency in the draft. Now, personally, I've seen some mixed reviews here and there, but yeah, they're, they're somewhere around the middle of the league in a lot of rankings that I've seen. So continuing John's email, I'm also confident they will get little respect in the schedule release. Do you think this is the year the Browns actually surprise people or do they miss the playoffs again? They did sell the farm in the Watson deal, and John is afraid that it is playoffs or bust this year. You know, it's it's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. And I think when it comes to the power rankings and things like that, I think that uh, the Browns are still paying the price for the acquisition of Deshaun Watson on a national level. I still don't think that people are, are bought in or willing to give them the benefit of the doubt or... Uh, view this as a successful endeavor. Uh, so I think that's one thing. And I think it's going to be also interesting to see how the NFL handles it. How did the networks handle it in terms of wanting Deshaun Watson to be in some of those night games, right? I mean, like, what is that going to be all about? Uh, so I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on for when the schedule is released on Thursday. Um, but um, you know, as far as the off season that they had, I think they've actually had a really good off season. Uh, they've completely overhauled their defense and they really overhauled their passing game too. And, you know, that's pretty ambitious, but they were able to do it. Uh, they ended up with four new pass catchers for Deshaun Watson, uh, including Elijah Moore, Marquise Goodwin, uh, Cedric Tillman, Jordan Aikens, then, of course, they completely transformed the defensive tackle room with uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Siaki Ika, a bunch of other guys that they've thrown in there. Um, safety spot. They really upgraded the safety position with Juan Thornhill and Rodney McLeod. So I think they had a really, really nice offseason so far. I think they did the best that they could with the draft, uh, which, of course, started for them in the third round. Again, I think people are in wait and see mode uh, because of the whole Deshaun Watson thing and what happened last year. I don't think people are ready to buy in yet, and it's going to take a little time for the Browns to go out there and play some really good football before people start to believe again. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I have seen some some good reviews of the Browns offseason as well, both free agency and the draft. So I, I think it's I think it's just mixed, and I think part of it is they didn't have like you know, they didn't sign like a marquee guy, but they did like directly address some needs that they had to address. And so I think that's a positive. Um, I, I think there's kind of two things at work. I think the first is kind of what you were hinting at. I don't know that people are quite ready to just jump on the Browns and Deshaun Watson bandwagon just yet. No, nobody's real eager to do that. But I think the other part of it too, and I, I thought of this when I was reading John's question is um, Peter King did his uh, his power rankings before he takes a little break before camp. And he had the Browns at number 17. So about the middle of the league. And his comment was, I think Deshaun Watson is still good, but how can you tell after seeing him play six highly mediocre games in the last 28 months? 
And I think that's a fair statement to, to say, like, yeah, I think Deshaun Watson can still be that guy, but also we haven't seen it. So I think that's at work a little bit, too. I really do. I, I think it is. I think that has a lot to do with the wait and see attitude and with uh, with people not ranking them any higher. Uh, but you know what? That's probably not the worst place in the world for the Browns to be right now with people having low expectations for them. I actually think that's better for them than having all of these Super Bowl expectations, all of this Super Bowl talk. Uh, you know, I think we've seen how they've gotten caught up in that over the past couple of seasons and it has not served them well at all. So, uh, so I do think that, you know, people kind of doubting them a little bit, uh, probably will be better for them because they can maybe perhaps sneak up on some people this way, uh, with expectations lower. Maybe there will be less pressure on the players. Maybe they will play a little bit looser. Maybe they'll be a little bit more free. Maybe they're, you know, if they make a mistake, they won't be, you know, freaking out and yelling at each other. So um, I actually think it's better this way for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've seen, just think back to 2019. We all remember how that went. Uh, the the year after they lost to Kansas City in the divisional round, we, we all, of course, know how that all went. That's part of why Deshaun Watson is here now. Um, and I also think this is something we've we've been talking about a little. I think it's going to be good for this team, not just from a team building standpoint, but just from a, like, they're not going to be walking out to thousands of fans chanting Super Bowl at the first training camp practice. They're opening up in the Greenbrier and they're going to be closed practices. And it's going to be a very like workmanlike environment. I think like they're going to show up to work and there aren't going to be fans there. And I, I think that's going to help too, that this hype isn't going to be building that first day of training camp necessarily. Yeah. I mean, now everybody else starts training camp around, you know, July 27th, July 28th, somewhere around there. The Browns, of course, are starting a whole week early because they're in the Hall of Fame game on August 3rd, along with the Jets. So they have to start seven, eight days earlier than everybody else. And uh, and they've really kind of taken care of matters. They've just taken that all out of the equation, that whole extra first week of, of hype and all the things that would go on in Berea. They've just taken that and they are moving it down to West Virginia. And uh, it's almost like in the minds of, you know, local fans here, like it's not even really happening yet because it's going to be six hours away. So um, I do think that, you know, that might help them really get away and get focused and pull together. I think there's a method to Kevin Stefanski's madness with that. And that is to try to build camaraderie and, you know, to do some of that team building and to get to know each other and to hang out together and, you know, do some, you know, off field things together, maybe hit some golf balls or whatever else they're going to do down there. Um, so I do think that, uh, I think it's going to be good for them. I think that's a good way to start it off knowing that they have to be out there playing in that first preseason game on August 3rd. Okay. I'm going to ask this next question because this is sort of like, this is like spring training. Like, you, you know, when when you start, when it's the middle of winter and you start to see the spring training pictures, you, you kind of start to feel warm. You're like, all right, summer's coming. This question kind of makes me feel like that. It comes from Paul Kuchik in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and it is a preseason playing time question. Hey, Mary Kay, what is the likelihood that we'll see Deshaun Watson play in the preseason? Kevin Stefanski tends to use the early regular season to work out the kinks. 
So essentially, do you think we'll see? And I, you know, this is an interesting question because they are work, reworking the offense too. Do you think we'll see Deshaun Watson more in the preseason than maybe we've seen starters in the past? You know what? I think so. I really think so. They've got four games. They've got four opportunities to let them go out and uh, and see what they can do when the live rush is on and when he will actually have an opportunity to kind of be running around and making some of those off-schedule plays a little bit. Uh, you have to weigh and balance that out against injury, of course. I mean, the most important thing is to get to the regular season as healthy as possible. But I do think there's going to be something to be said this year for just a little bit more uh, of playing time for Deshaun Watson in the preseason. And I think it's smart. It doesn't have to be a lot, uh, just a couple of series here and there, uh, maybe a few series in each of the games, probably except for the last one. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's the right time and the right season to go out and do that. Yeah. And just working off Kevin's past, we've seen him do the dress rehearsal game. Um, he did it with Baker and, and he, he did it with, he did it with Jacoby last year. And then last year, of course, it was a little weird because they wanted to get Deshaun Watson some work with, you know, in the first preseason game. But yeah, I could see, you know, maybe in, you know, maybe nobody plays in the Hall of Fame game. I don't think anybody will play in the Philly game, but I don't know, maybe Watson plays a series in game two. And then, you know, maybe one of those games becomes a dress rehearsal game somehow. I don't know how it all work out, but yeah, I could see him getting some work in like two of the preseason games. Yeah, they need some live action. You kind of need to put it all out on the grass and see what it's going to look like. You don't want your first exposure uh, to that sort of thing to be in the opener. You just don't want that. You want, you know, some guys to, you know, feel the crunch of the pads. You want guys to take a hit. You want Deshaun Watson to be able to shake off the rust a little bit. Uh, you want to see how he has developed any kind of timing with some of his receivers. So I do think that they will, um, they will probably do that a little bit more. But I think that Kevin Stefanski, like he did last year, will put more stock into those Eagles practices than the preseason games because you can control uh, the contact. You can control what happens to your quarterback in those practices and you can keep guys off of them. Whereas in the preseason games, once again, you've got a lot of young guys that are out there trying to prove themselves, trying to make a football team, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to show other teams, hey, if this team doesn't like me, maybe you guys will. So um, so I think you have to be cognizant of that. Um, but I think those two practices on August like 14th and 15th, I think they are, yeah, August 14th and 15th in Philadelphia uh, will be very pivotal in getting uh, the Browns ready to play the season and getting Deshaun ready to play. Uh, because they'll do some ones against ones. They'll do, you know, probably a fair amount of that. And that is one heck of a defense, right? I mean, that's a good defense. They've lost some guys. I mean, they've lost Javon Hargrave and, uh, you know, a number of, of other really, really good players on that defense. But that's one of those teams like the Steelers where they just, and the Ravens, where they just keep restocking their defense. They know how to draft for defense. They know what they like. They know what they want. Uh, they have a profile. Uh, they stick pretty close to it. And uh, they just keep funneling in really good guys. So I think that's going to be really meaningful work for Deshaun. And, and I also think, too, you know, as we go through this, it matters what the other team does as well. Um, that, that's something that, you know, Kevin Stefanski will talk to the other coach. And, it, you know, like Kevin doesn't want to put his starters out there for kind of what you were talking about. He doesn't want to put his starters out there 
against the other team's second unit. If it's ones v ones in a game, they're all sort of going to take care of each other because it's the preseason and, you know, they don't need to make a name for themselves. But it's those situations that you talked about where you've got the ones versus the twos in a game and you've got one of those guys on that second team who's competing like crazy and does something, you know, is just playing at a different level than the other guys are using the game for. You know, so Kevin will have discussions with the other coach and they'll sort of come up with like, hey, we're going to play our starters, you know, the first two series or something. So so it's a little dependent on that, too. Yeah. And some of the guys, including Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, you know, they're friends. So they're they're going to make sure uh, that they get this right, not only in the practices, but in the game. Both um, both coaches and both organizations, they have got a good working relationship and they want this to go really, really well. So there's not going to really be any shenanigans out there. Nobody's going to be trying to take out your quarterback. Uh, everyone knows how important this is. Uh, and so, yeah, I think those will be, the practices will be like what they were last year. They were absent, all of the fighting and the shenanigans that went on. Remember, the, of course you do remember, we were standing right there for, we, we had the front row uh, seat for it, for the, all the fighting that went on between the, the Colts and the Browns, generated mostly by the Browns. Um, but that stuff isn't going to happen with the Eagles. These are two organizations willing to try really hard to get some good work in and, uh, and get ready for the season. And I'll also never forget when Troy Hill and was it Sterling Shepard after a practice got into a fight when it was that, I don't remember exactly what year that was. I guess that would have been 2021. Um, they, they got into a fight after practice and it wasn't lost on anyone that Troy Hill was the lone Brown starter who had to play in that, that following preseason game on that Sunday afternoon against the Giants. Um, so Kevin made it very clear that day that, that he's not going to put up with any of that stuff. Whereas, you know, you go back to 2019, it's almost like the Browns embraced it. That was, <laughs> we could do like a whole podcast on just that week in Indianapolis. We really could. We really could. And you know who we could invite onto the podcast, Dan? Think about it. We could have a really cool guest on for that pod. Do you know? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm blanking. Bubba Ventura. I, I mean, I could think of a couple people who were there. Yeah, that's true. You're right, because Bubba was on the other side. Bubba was there, probably wondering <laughs> what in the heck are these guys doing. It was. It was really bizarre. Oh my gosh! It was really bizarre. But that was sort of you know that was sort of what that whole season ended up being like, and that sort of set the tone for it, didn't it? I mean, it kind of. It was it foreshadowed what was to come, some of the madness that ensued, um, you know, in that season and what was going to be tolerated and what wasn't going to be tolerated. Um, so, yeah, that's um, yeah, that would be good podcast fodder. I, I mean, like, I'll never forget leading up to those practices, how adamant Freddie Kitchens was that we're not going to fight. There's not going to be fights. And then the Browns went and instigated a bunch of fights and then the tone changed. It was like yeah, this is who we are. We're not going to back down. It was just a, and then of course we all remember how that season opened against Tennessee uh, with all those penalties and and the way the season went after that. Yeah. That's, that's a podcast for sure. That's an oral history or something of, uh, of those Indianapolis practices. Uh, All right. We did have a couple uh, draft pick questions. This first one comes from Jamie in Bethany, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay. 
With Jed Wills' transition to left tackle not always having been as smooth as the Browns had hoped in 2020, do you think they will err on the side of Dewan Jones remaining a right tackle at the NFL, or do you think they're undeterred by that and will look at Jones more as a left tackle option? You know, I think he will get reps on both sides, and I think they will leave their options open there. They're going to bring him along. Uh, there is no rush for him to get into the starting lineup because they've got Jed Wills at left tackle. They've got Jack Conklin at right tackle. So he doesn't have to worry necessarily about starting this year unless, of course, one of those guys goes down with a serious injury. And then, you know, who knows? He might end up having to step in, although they still have James Hudson and um, and you don't know which one of those two guys would necessarily end up playing at least early on in the season. But um, I think that they will work him at both sides because in the event down the road that he seems like he'd be a really good left tackle, then maybe you have the option of moving Jed over to right tackle. Um, you know, may, you know, there just might be some other ways of going about this. So I think he'll get reps at both sides. Um, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll go from there. I, I also think, you know, the way we talk about Jed, I mean, it doesn't feel like the Browns feel like this has been a failure moving him to left tackle. Maybe he hasn't quite been the player that they hoped at this point, but they did. I mean, they did pick up that fifth year option. They haven't at any point like hedged against Jed Wills. They, you know, they've drafted guys, you know, like Jay, they've drafted James Hudson to be kind of a swing tackle. They, you know, Dewan Jones is a fourth round kind of a flyer at this point. Uh, you know, even if they really like him, I, I feel like everything they've told us based on what they've done is that they still believe in Jed Wills and they don't, they don't think this has gone as, as poorly as maybe some people on the outside think. That's true. They do not feel like that. I think they look at his season two years ago and what they see uh, was a season completely marred by uh, just a nagging ankle injury that just, it never really healed throughout the season. He was never really able to be himself. So I think they look at that season as, a little bit of a wash. And um, and then you come back to last season and you almost have to go back to square one a little bit and start, sort of start all over and try to build on some of the good things that you've done in your past. So I think they looked at last year as getting back on track and being on the right trajectory, which they feel is an upward trajectory under Bill Callahan and Scott Peters. So you know we'll see how it goes. But you know now they are going to have some options as they move forward once again with Dewan Jones being around and being developed and, you know, they can see what they need to do. I mean, Jed Wills, um, when you look at it, it's like almost like a two-year contract when you have the $14.175 million for 2024, um, which is the fifth year option number. And then you look at his 2023 salary, which I don't have it in front of me uh, right at this moment. And I, I could probably look it up really quick. But um, when you average those two things out, then you end up with a number that is so incredibly reasonable for um, for a tackle for two seasons. Let me see here. So his so his his cap hit his cap hit this year is six point two six nine. Okay, um, and, and then next year it's that base? fourteen million. Do you so have his, his base? base, yeah, his base salary. Yeah, it's low. It's 3.296. There we go. Okay. So you take the 3.296 base and uh, and then you look at the $14.175 million and you're talking about roughly 
you know, about $18 million for two years. And so that is a very reasonable average, $9 million average for a left tackle. I mean, you really can't beat that for a starting left tackle, even if they're not a Pro Bowl left tackle. So it was absolutely 100% a no-brainer to pick up the fifth-year option. And now they can see where it goes from here. You know, now they've got two full seasons where they can determine, is he worth the big extension, the big long-term contract? And if so, is it the left tackle contract? Is it a guard contract, perhaps? Is it a right tackle contract? So they've got some leeway now with him under contract for two more years. You know, there's also a reality, too, that like, (laughs) yes, you, you know, you want as many pro bowlers and all pros as you can have, but... Honestly, you can't afford to have pro bowlers and all pros at every single position, even the the super important, right? Like only so many guys can make $20 million a year on your roster or as, as this cap goes up, whatever that number, 25, 30 million. You can only have so many guys that make that much money uh, on your roster. So if Jed Wills isn't a uh, top of the line left tackle, but he's a good, he develops into a good left tackle that you know you can rely on and have out there every Sunday, that's fine. I mean, it's it's not... Like I said, ideally you want a pro bowler and an all pro at every position, but that's just not realistic. Yeah, that's true. And and the other thing about that too, Dan, is this gives them two seasons to really evaluate what kind of blocker he is, what kind of left tackle he is for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is a mobile quarterback. So you have to do things differently. You've got to hang on a little bit longer. You got to be able to move. You've got to be able to adjust to the off script, off schedule plays. And so now this gives them an opportunity to see how Jed makes that adjustment to Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Maybe he's going to be amazing for Deshaun Watson. Maybe he'll be better on the other side for Deshaun, or maybe he'll be better at guard, or maybe it won't work out at all, or, you know, whatever. These are all the options that are available to them, but they need data. They need data uh, before they can actually really figure out what the long-term plan is going to be. Okay, let's take a break. Then we've got another draft question and some more questions from our Football Insider subscribers on this edition of the Hey Mary Kay Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, another Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. These questions from our Football Insider subscribers are texters. If you want to be a texter, if you want that newsletter that we deliver every day, if you want access to those stories on cleveland.com that are for our subscribers, all you have to do is click on that blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns to get info and get signed up for that. This comes from Jay and Canton. Hey Mary Kay, you recently mentioned... How you? I believe it was on a Hey Mary Kay podcast. You re- recently mentioned how you wish you could see college prospects play against the pros in practice, and I think you were talking about how teams, you know, could benefit from seeing some of these players practice against NFL players. And it got Jay thinking. There have been many wide receiver teammates that have had a ton of success in both the college and pros. And so, in light of that, do you think Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt? might have success in the NFL because they competed with each other or pushed each other in practice? Well, I do think it helps to evaluate a player when you can see him side by side with another player who is actually going to be in the NFL. So I think, you know, when you when you compare him to Jalen Hyatt, you are comparing him to another NFL caliber receiver. And I do think that there is some value in that. I really do. Because you can, you have an idea of just how good they really are or what their potential might be. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that was a, a really cool way for them to go about that because it doesn't happen like that very often. Uh, you know, where two of your receivers are going to be headed to the NFL draft in the same, in the same year and be picked one spot away from each other in, in the third round is what it was. Um, so in this case, yeah, I think, I think it was very beneficial to be able to see that. And I think it was also good for the Browns in their evaluation of these two players uh, to know which one they liked better uh, for having been able to see them up close and personal uh, competing, practicing against each other and, uh, you know, and playing in games uh, together. So, yeah, I think, I think it really helped. And and I also think to, to Jay's point, one of, you know, these are two guys from the SEC and, you know, obviously we see the SEC produces a bunch of talent that goes to the NFL, the big 10 uh, it's these bigger conferences, but especially in the SEC where, you know, you've got not everybody's a pro, but you've got pros going against pros. And, you know, when, when the Browns talked about DeWan Jones, they talked about how he played against Georgia, whose like entire defense over the last two years has been drafted. And, you know, the way CJ Stroud came out of that Georgia game, um, you know, a lot of people really thought highly of how he played in that game. So some of that too, it's, it's not necessarily just like Hyatt and Tillman pushing each other. It's the fact that they're going against, you know, maybe not all 11, but they're going against defenses that have pros that have guys that are good enough to get drafted into the NFL. There's so much to be said for that. There's just absolutely, I think so much to be said for that. Uh, And that's why I think it's, it's good in the case of Siaki Ika that in addition to his Baylor tape, the Browns at least have a year of him playing at LSU. They have some data on, you know, what he was able to do against, that kind of SEC competition. And I think it's vitally important. I think it's why so many of the SEC receivers, the LSU receivers and the Alabama receivers and those guys can come into the NFL and have success. The projection is very difficult. We heard a stat the other day that quality starters or adequate starters uh, coming out of the uh, third through fifth rounds is about 15%. I mean, that's really low. Um, so if you have a chance to get an SEC guy, you know, you want to try to, to, you know, to have that information and that tape that tells you that he can get the job done against, uh, against guys that are also going to the pros. I mean, you know, we should do a study sometime, Dan, on, uh, where some of these guys were drafted from the Cleveland Browns and where, you know, where they ended, you know, how they ended up, how did they do now in some cases, uh, you know, the jury is still out. You know, you've got a number of LSU guys and they haven't necessarily, uh, you know, become the stars yet that the Browns, you know, thought or hoped they would be. Uh, but there still is time for some of them. Injuries have played a factor for some of them. Um, but, you know, and then you've got a guy like Tommy Togiai coming out of Ohio State. But once again, that statistic that I just quoted, 15% adequate starters round three through five. Uh, you know, that, that is something very, very key to keep in mind when you're evaluating drafts. This is also kind of veering off the question, but I wonder too, with like these bigger school guys, if some of it is they just get coached better at the college level, because, you know, like at Ohio state, for example, Brian Hartline is thought of as this great recruiter and this great coach. And we've seen what the, the receivers that they produced and they're able to pay Brian Hartline a ton of money to stay there and, I think he just got promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, 
but but they can pay more money than you know some mid-major or some smaller program so it's not going to be across the board because not every coach is great but i would imagine if you're going to like alabama or ohio state or georgia or wherever where they can pay their assistants a ridiculous amount of money you're just going to get better coaching because that's you know some of those guys are probably good enough to go to the nfl but they stay at the college level because of the money or you know maybe they just prefer it but like I wonder if that's part of it too, just the position coaches are better at, at those bigger schools, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I think that has something to do with it. And when you think about it, these guys are quite often not in college as long anymore as they used to be back in the day. I mean, you only have them for, you know, three years. So you're not getting as much hands-on coaching as you used to get. But I do think that um, you're right about that, that at these bigger schools, you have a caliber of coaching that you're not going to get at the smaller schools. And again, when we were watching um, some tape the other day of Isaiah McGuire and his hands and how good his hands are. I kept looking at at that tape and thinking, my goodness, he might, I don't I don't know who his uh, defensive line coach was at Missouri, but whoever it was, uh, I think it it had to have been a really really good coach uh, because he came out of there with a very sophisticated handwork. And I do think that that that's important. I think the the coaching that you get is vitally important and they don't get as much of it as you think they do. Once they get up here on this level, that's why the Browns, they really do feel like even though a player like Dewan Jones uh, played at Ohio State and was well well coached, uh, they are very confident that when they get him in the hands of the arguably the best offensive line coach in the NFL and Bill Callahan and his assistant, Scott Peters, that he's really going to come up that learning curve. I mean, we've seen those guys do some amazing things with uh, Ethan Posick last year, you know, with, uh, you know, getting Jed ready to play over there on the left side after playing right tackle in college and, uh, you know, just the guards and how well they play. So, um, so I, you know, I do think that that has something to do with it. And, you know, the Browns are lucky that they have some really, really good football coaches. Okay, a question here from Jeff Sapisi in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay, as the Browns look to add additional players to the roster post-draft, is the XFL and USFL a valid talent source, or is there a good reason those players are in those leagues and not in the NFL? You know what? I, I think as time goes on, those leagues are really going to be uh, a little bit of a farm system for the NFL. I mean, what you want is guys learning guys. You know, you don't necessarily just want a guy sitting on a practice squad, not getting reps, not getting playing time. Uh, so I, you know, I do think that you will find guys in those leagues that are going to be able to play some football for you and you will have tape to look at and you will be able to evaluate them actually playing the game of football at the pro level, not just at the college level. So I think it is going to be meaningful. I mean, Kurt Warner came out of the whatever league, right? I mean, I do think that, um, you know, I think those guys, I think those guys can be found uh, playing some good football in, in some of those lesser leagues. And kind of the discussion we just had, it is, you know, your pros versus pros in that league. They aren't all, necessarily NFL caliber, but it's it's a higher caliber than, you know, the college level because they've weeded out, again, some of that talent. Some of those guys are former pros. Like, I think Josh Gordon surfaces every now and again in one of those leagues. I think he was in, was he in the USFL? Or no, maybe he was in the XFL this year. I don't know. I get him confused. But the Browns have gone down this road before. I'm looking at the roster. I know there's a couple 
Uh, Sam Kamara, uh, I believe, was the USFL Defensive Player of the Year last year or something like that. Yeah. Dearness Johnson came out of that one that one that failed. Um, I forget what it was called, the American Football Alliance or whatever it was. Yes. Yep. Um, but that's kind of where Dearness Johnson came from. So teams are teams are dipping into these leagues. You can find some you you can find some talent there that you can put on the bottom of the roster and kind of see what they can do and and see if they can develop into something. And you know, you look at a guy like Dearness Johnson, that was his opportunity and now you know, he's he's done pretty well for himself considering where he was. Yeah, and you have some pretty good coaches coaching in these leagues. Uh, you know, it's a way for them to sort of uh, keep their foot in the door of the pro game. So when you look at some of these, uh, you know, XFL coaches, you see that they've got a, a pretty impressive resume. And so in addition to getting some reps, some pro type of reps, they're also getting some pretty good coaching in a lot of instances. Okay, we had a couple questions about this. So I want to throw a running back question out there. Uh, This one also comes, well, let me see if I can find another one because Jamie sent us one in. But uh, here we go. Joe in Naples, Florida. Uh, He says, hey, Mary Kay, why don't the Browns sign a real running back to back up Chubb? They need to keep his workload reasonable. And then I'll go back to Jamie in Bethany, Connecticut, who also asked, uh, hey, Mary Kay, do you think the Browns are still in the market for a third down running back specialist? Well, first of all, I think that they believe that Jerome Ford can be that guy, that he can come in and play a lot of the roles that Kareem Hunt played. Um, having said that, I still think that there is a good chance they will sign another veteran running back um, because if nothing else, you do need some camp legs. I mean, you can't run these guys into the ground. Uh, you've got to keep Nick Chubb as fresh as possible. Uh, he really shouldn't be you know, wasting too much tread on the tires in, uh, you know, in training camp and in the preseason games, you've got to keep him healthy and fresh and ready to go for what you hope is going to be 20 some games and 24 when you add in the preseason. So, um, so I think they're going to need at least one good veteran running back. Now, having said that it's not a super hard to find position. Some will shake out. Some guys will get cut. Some guys are out there on the market Um, you know, it's not something that you have to fret about. You can go find yourself a good running back somewhere, especially to run behind an offensive line like this. If you have two Pro Bowl guards and that amazing now super stout center and, you know, Conklin and Jed Will, I mean, it's such a good offensive line that you don't have to worry too much about finding a superstar running back Whoever you put back there, if they're, you know, ready to be in the NFL, they're going to make some yards back there. So I don't think they're too concerned about it, but I also think they will add someone. And just like with everything else, how does the person fit with Deshaun Watson? And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're going to run some more read option, if it's going to look a little more, it's not going to look exactly like it does with Jalen Hurts because they're different quarterbacks. But if it looks a little more like that, um, some design runs and, and things like that, how does... How do these running backs also mesh with with Deshaun Watson in the run game? So just it's it's this entire roster. How does everything mesh with Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, now that they're going to have him for the full season? Yeah, and it's it's not just um, 
you know, it's not just the offensive players that we're talking about when we talk about that. It's pretty much everything. It's how they set up the coaching for the quarterback room and the things that they've done on defense to make sure that they are complementing the offense. It's a, you know, Deshaun is up here on a pedestal and, um, and then everything sort of flows from there uh, to the point where, you know, like that, the column that I wrote uh, on, on draft weekend, he had, um, you know, he had input, he had a say in which quarterbacks are in that quarterback room with him so that they have not only uh, some overlap and similar skill sets, but he's got some buddies in there. He's got, he's got some friends in there uh, that he can really rely on uh, for, for camaraderie, for laughs, for friendship, for hanging out, for doing things. And, um, you know, they're trying to make sure that, that he is happy in every way. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As I mentioned earlier, all those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info on that. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're getting into the schedule release on Thursday, so we'll have some podcasts around that. And then, of course, Rookie Mini Camp is this weekend, so uh, we'll do some podcasts off of that at the end of the week and also into next week. A lot of things starting to happen here for the Browns with Rookie Mini Camp, OTAs, uh, mandatory mini camp. It's it's happening. The season's coming fast, Mary Kay. I don't know if you're ready, but uh, it's it's barreling down on us. It, it really is. If if we're not ready, we better get ready in a hurry. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this podcast. Uh, appreciate everyone listening, uh, Mary Kay. I will talk to you later. Sounds great. 